0: This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen with our ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker.
1: This podcast episode was recorded on Thursday, April 6th, and a highlight clip of the most actionable items was released to premium subscribers that same day. In this case, the actionable highlights included a preview of last Friday's non-farm payrolls. So this is something that only premium subscribers got. In fact, That part has been cut from this recording that you are about to hear because it's no longer timely and no longer relevant. But to become a premium subscriber, you can join us at contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up or contrarian.supercast.com as mentioned at the outset. Now, there is, of course, still an awful lot in This episode that you're about to hear that is still highly relevant and is absolutely worth listening to. So, without further ado, I will shut up and let you get to it. Here you go. Almost exactly a year ago, when you were on the first time and you came on and you told us that we should not buy what was then a dip developing, especially in tech stocks. So, uh, one correct one there, call for you. So, now, of course, a year later, We are curious as to what has changed. A lot has changed, including the fact that it doesn't look like you shaved very much in that year, for those of you following along on video. But yeah, curious if you're any more constructive now for the outlook for risk assets, such as stocks, with all of your research that you do in the economic cycle and things like that.
2: So the short answer is uh, no, but for different Mm. reasons than the last time we talked. The last time we talked... Inflation was beginning to accelerate and the Fed was starting to become very, very hawkish. And uh, the reason it wasn't a good idea to buy the dip at the time is because the Fed was getting ready to embark on the most aggressive uh, rate hiking cycle since Paul Volcker. And a lot of the large cap US indexes have considerable duration risk because there's a lot of growth and a lot of tech. And so as interest rates went up, a lot of those long duration assets, you mentioned tech stocks went down really quickly and uh, so did the indexes as a result. We think that the risk for risk assets now is a little bit different. We think the Fed is probably toward the end of its hiking cycle. Maybe they get another 25 or 50 basis points, Uh, but we're clearly closer to the end than to the beginning. We think the risk now is credit risk, is the risk that economic growth slows in a nonlinear way. And that's also a bad backdrop for risk assets, but in terms of the market internals and who tends to get hit the hardest, Uh, it's a little bit different.
1: Right. Talk to me about this—this what you're picking up in terms of growth
2: going down and slowing and why you think that's the case. So it's a a good question. Like we mentioned in 2022, the Fed increased interest rates really, really quickly. One might call it an interest rate shock. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a considerable debate about the leads and lags in terms of when uh, interest rate policy tends to hit the real economy. We know that uh, Milton Friedman says that there are long and variable lags. And everyone seems to agree on that, but no one seems to agree on exactly how long and how variable those lags tend to be. And Vic, this is something that we've done significant amount of work on. And most of our research tends to suggest that the lead is about 16 to 18 months. And you know, you could draw confidence intervals around that, but it, it, they're actually a little narrower than you might expect. So what that suggests to us is that uh, the, the bulk of the of the hiking cycle isn't going to flow through the real economy until the back half of 2023 in the beginning of 2024. And that's if rates have peaked, right? And uh, technically our view at Invictus right now, what we're telling clients is that our view on monetary policy or interest rates is, is neutral. We're not really willing to make a bet higher or lower, but I will say the more data that comes in, the more it looks like interest rates have peaked for the cycle. Okay. Now you say
1: that, and you touched on this in your uh, in your in the video that you guys do. You did a, I don't know if it's quarterly or monthly, I've picked up on this as well, which is the action in the bond market. And the bond market, especially the short end of the curve, seems to be pricing in rate cuts. So tell me, talk to me about that. Do you think the bond market is wise to this? Uh, we've seen hopes of a Fed pivot before
2: many times, never quite reflected in the bond market like this, I don't think. No, that, that's a good point. So first, maybe it's, it's worth talking about what drives the bond market. And I think bond market junkies will know this, but there are certainly a lot of stock jockeys that won't. The Fed funds rate really drives the majority of the price action in the bond market. When you look at the relationship between the Fed funds rate and short rates, I so think the three month, the six month, the one year, the two year, there tends to be a 98% correlation plus between the Fed funds rate and those short rates. If you go out to the very long end of the curve, a lot of people will say, well, the long end trades on growth expectations. That's true it trades about 20% on growth expectations. The other 80% is still the Fed, right? So when the Fed is hiking, almost all the time, long-term rates are going up, just like short-term rates. Uh, mortgage rates tend to trade with a 92% correlation to the Fed funds rate. Corporates trade with about an 82% correlation. So it's not quite as close, but still really, really close, right? It's It's, it's still driving the, the majority of the price action by a pretty wide margin. So it's really important to get a grasp or to get a feel for Fed policy and where you think it's going if you're trying to make a call on uh, anything interest rate sensitive. So I said earlier that our view on monetary policy right now is neutral. And I know that's a super boring and disappointing call. But the point that I'm trying to make is that there's not a good risk reward betting either way right now. So on the one hand, economic conditions, economic conditions are what the Fed is supposed to be reacting to. Seem to suggest that the Fed would, under ordinary circumstances, hike. Right? We've got services inflation comping six to eight percent annualized. That's two thirds of consumption. So that's obviously multiples of trend. It's not showing, in terms of momentum, any serious signs of declining. Right? If you look at say the the three month annualized rate of change, it's still clipping pretty fast. And then you've got durable goods inflation, which has since June of 2022 been the primary driver of this inflation. So durable goods are big, expensive, financeable, frequently financeable household items like cars or refrigerators or washing machines or furniture. and uh, Or mowers,
1: con- which appears to be going on in your background. But I do hear it, by the way. But go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I apologize for that. No, that's no, quite um, all right. Yeah, maybe oh, a yeah, lawnmower, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, durable goods inflation, uh, while, while it continues to move lower, if you look at sort of shorter term measures of inflationary momentum, again, like maybe this three-month annualized rate of change, it appears to be picking its heads back up, which is not what the Fed wants to see, right? They don't want to see uh, durable goods inflation picking back up against a backdrop of 6 to 8% services inflation. So you would think that that means um, the Fed would probably hike just given the way economic conditions look right now. But the reason that we're neutral despite that is really the two-year. So we have a number of models uh, and leading indicators for monetary policy, but one of the simplest and the most reliable is just looking at the two-year relative to the Fed funds rate. And historically, the two-year treasury yield tends to lead the Fed funds rate with uh, I think over a 98% correlation or you're splitting hairs at some point uh, by about three months. And so right now, uh, the two year is taking a dive. Uh, it was a, there was a four Sigma move lower in the two year yield after the Silicon Valley bank debacle. I personally don't have a good fundamental explanation for what happened, what drove, uh, the biggest move we've seen in the two year yield since 1987. So I don't know how many years that is, but 40, 40 years, something like that, a, a long, long time. Um, senior thing has been 40 years since
1: 1987. I think it's only been, quote, only been 37 years, if my maths are correct. But yeah, so close enough. But geez, all right, because I remember 1987. Not well, but I do. But anyway, go it's, on.
2: It's a move that very few people have in their models. Right. And uh, and I mean, and couldn't, it have US, just been, couldn't that have just been risk off? Right. Well, we know that I think the explanation that a lot of people were giving as well was just short covering, right? It was a, it was oh. a big squeeze. And that and we know that positioning was very lopsided. The street was extremely short, uh, two-year your, to your bills, if you're just looking at, uh, you know, the commitment of traders report and what they're buying and what they're selling, there was a big, big, big short position and there's still a big short position, but uh, it hasn't moved back up, right? In our view at Invictus, uh, support or resistance is between 4.1 and 4.2%. Uh, we saw the two-year try to retest that level on the upside and it broke down again. And uh, right now the divergence between the two-year treasury yield and the Fed funds rate is about 100 basis points. So what that suggests, if you were to just look at the two year next to the Fed funds rate, is that the Fed will have to cut by call it July, early July, okay. right? And so uh, that doesn't really make any sense given what economic conditions are, are right now. Uh, but at the same time, that, that leading 98% correlation is not generally something we wanna bet against. And so right now our view is neutral.
0: Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information.
1: Okay, fair enough. Uh, Let me introduce something else into the equation here, which is inflation. And the Fed's inflation target obviously is 2%. They have said they're not going to change that. And they've been very vocal about price stability and raising rates until inflation has been dealt with. And and again, at the last uh, Fed meeting, Powell again came out with some very strong rhetoric about the fight against inflation. So we could have all these signs everywhere. We could have them in the bond market. We could have them in the employment market. But the point is that we could have all this stuff going on, but we could still have consumer inflation well above 2%. And that would tie the Fed's hands, wouldn't it? In a sense,
2: in a sense. So... uh I think, I think one, of the, one of the projects that I've done over the last few weeks at Invictus is look back at prior hiking cycles and when the Fed has paused, because obviously I think a big question right now and a very fair question is, can the Fed really pause interest rate hikes with inflation running at multiples of target? Right. And if you look at history, the answer is yes. The Fed has done so many, many times. In fact, it's done so more often than not. And the reason that the Fed pauses interest rate hikes is that they generally see signs of instability in the economy, right? A high risk of, call it a nonlinear declining growth. And if you look back at history, typically the Fed cuts rates within six months of pausing rates, right? And so that's generally when that nonlinear declining growth, employment, whatever is manifesting, then they need to stimulate again. And so uh, we don't see any, when you look at the backward looking economic data, there are no real signs of instability or a big spike in the unemployment rate. When we look at our leading indicators, there is, and we expect that in the back half of 2023, we don't know how privy the Fed is to, to leading indicators. Uh, but the point is, if they do pause interest rate hikes, historically, what that means is they're seeing significant signs of risk in the economy, and we should take that seriously.
1: Right. But there's still a disc- – uh, uh, from when they pause to when they cut, it still could take a little while, it sounds,
2: Right. About six months, if you just look at history, yeah.
1: Right. Okay, so there's that. But then also, don't forget the backdrop here, right? Inflation is transitory, that whole thing. The Fed had egg on its face, still does from that. Just in general, when you say that inflation is transitory, while inflation continues to print to these high numbers, just from a purely PR perspective, wouldn't it kind of be very difficult to justify rate cuts in light of all that? if inflation is still high?
2: I think it does. Although I think if you follow the politics of the Fed, the, the pressure toward trying to get them to pause mm. is is gradually becoming greater. And I'll, I'll add that at Invictus, we try and stay away from the idea of what the Fed should do mm. uh, because we're not we're not policymakers and no one will listen to our, our policy prescriptions at Invictus anyway. Generally, what we're trying to do is uh, front run whatever we think the Fed will do given... Uh, the views that they're expressing to the market at any given time. And so whether it's appropriate or inappropriate to, to pause or, or to cut rates, uh, you know, we try not to think about that. We try to think about what they're communicating, uh, what indicators they're looking at and the weight of the evidence. And I'll add right now, if you look at the FOMC dot plot, what they're communicating is they're not going to raise rates past, or the, you could say the, the expectation of FOMC participants is that the terminal rate for the cycle is between 5% and 5.25%, uh-huh. right? And, uh, I'm sure that they've considered whether or not that that might appear inappropriate politically, but that's their base case right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, it you know it is what it is. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Okay, so uh, long term neutral neutral on on uh, interest rates, and where does it leave other other asset classes? Uh, we touched on growth stocks. That's that's a little more. There's a lot more involved there. But what about certain things like industrial commodities and oil? And uh, typically, those tend to kind of trail the economic cycle, don't they? Right. And so what is our long
2: long term outlook is not uh, neutral on interest rates. We think the the Fed probably will end up cutting. Uh, Anytime you see the labor market start to break, the Fed's reaction function becomes pretty easy, because that means that slack is going to appear in the labor market. Services inflation is going to come down really, really quickly. Wage growth is going to come down really, really quickly. And uh, the the policy response is is easy, so to speak. It's easier than it was in January of 2022. But of course, it's the opposite. So you just the Fed will probably start stimulating. Uh, We don't know if that's happening in the next three months right now or the next nine months. So we want to leave a little bit of a a, a grace period for that time to react, respond to the data and whatnot. But uh, if you had to say, you know, in a year, will rates be 75 basis points higher or lower? We would almost certainly guess lower. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So now talk to me, talk to me about oil and commodities. Okay. So. Our outlook, we say that our outlook at Invictus right now is deflationary, and we mean something specific by that. We mean slower real growth in rate of change terms and slower uh, inflation rate of change terms. It doesn't necessarily mean negative inflation prints. It just means slower. Momentum is slowing. And so oil is the really the quintessential reflationary asset, right? When does oil do best? It does best when growth and inflation are going up simultaneously. When does oil do worse? It does worse when they're going down. So, our high level outlook policy aside is that growth and inflation are both going to continue to decline. And so, according to our back test, that's a time to look opportunistically for shorts in oil. Um, Obviously, OPEC just announced some big production cuts earlier earlier in the week. Um, We've thought thought a decent amount about that. It doesn't change our 12 month cyclical view on oil. Generally, demand can move much more quickly than supply. And so, if there's going to be, so for example, if we see unemployment go from 3.6%. To four and a half percent or five percent, that'll mean considerably less oil consumption, and uh, producers won't be responding fast enough to uh, to offset the declines in price at that point. Okay, what about China's reopening, though? That uh, people have
1: argued it's, that that's a very bullish case for oil, and and you don't you don't agree, or, or you just don't think it's
2: that important. So we're U.S. focused at Invictus. That that said, we do keep track of what's what's going on globally, and most of the data that we look at suggests that the Chinese reopening Well, maybe it's going, is going a little bit slower than people expected, and it's not going to offset the economic gravity of what's going on in the US. I mean, you can think about the economy as this tug of war between deflationary and reflationary forces. And there are reflationary forces out there on the margin, China being one of them. But in our view, there are considerably stronger deflationary uh, forces. And so that's how we would be positioning ourselves as investors.
1: Fair enough. Okay. Last question before we go to break. Is there any chance of a soft landing still, in your view?
2: Uh, there's, there's always a chance. I think that the, uh, the odds are very low. If you look at all of the, the leading indicators, they're all suggesting a rather dramatic declining growth over the coming 6 to 12 months. And so you can only, uh, unless you're using a rather, maybe an esoteric option strategy, uh, you can really only, only position one way. And we think that the weight of the evidence suggests that this is a time to playing defense, not offense.
1: Okay. Well, that's not a very nice way to go into the break, but I'll, I guess uh, fair enough. Um, cool. Mike Singleton of Invictus Research, I want to come back and ask you some more questions and uh, talk about some other stuff. So, But we're going to first take a break. However, if you are a premium subscriber, you do not get the break. Do not go anywhere. Do not touch the dial. We'll be right back. In fact, we already are. And to become a premium subscriber, visit the substack contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech.
1: By the way, you don't need the .tech suffix to get to that website, Dot .com will do the trick and we also have a substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices, same benefits, same details contrarianpod.substack.com so if you already have a substack account and use it or have the app and use that that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com. whole bunch of benefits, including, of course, getting this episode up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the daily contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m. This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. Welcome back, everybody, here with Mike Singleton of Invictus Research. Mike, this is a segment of the show where, as you know, we usually talk about the guest's background, but since you already supplied that the first time around, I'm not going to go over that again. But instead, I want to talk some more with you about the banks, You know, rather historic events here, run on the banks, kind of, uh, maybe nipped in the bud by the Fed there.
2: Um, Do you have any views on that? I'll find my answer by saying I'm not a bank analyst. When I look at the Fed's political incentives, when I look at the terms of the uh, bank term funding program, they all look very generous. It appears fairly obvious to me that the Fed is willing to step in and do whatever it takes to backstop the US banking system. In my view, fundamentally, it doesn't look like we're on the brink of a banking crisis and it doesn't look like the economic momentum has shifted yet in a crisis-like way. Um, That said, uh, the signs that we're getting from the bond market are pretty bearish. And so, and like we said earlier, I don't know exactly why we're getting those signals right now when we are. And so it's not off the table that there's something lurking beneath the surface that that we don't fully understand, but and Victor's, we want to have respect for it, the market signal.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Okay, cool. Um, talk to me, what What are some of the uh, other leading indicators that you watch that maybe people can do at
2: home? One indicator that we like looking at is what we call the fiscal impulse, uh-huh. And this is this is a very long-term leading indicator, at least in the U.S. And, and what it is, is it's the uh, year-over-year rate of change in the market value of gross federal debt. That's a statistic collected by the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank. And if you look at the year-over-year change, it tends to lead the U.S. growth cycle, uh, which you can proxy with the ISM manufacturing PMI. It tends to lead the U.S. growth cycle by about 18 months. And that's a very long-term leading indicator. It doesn't have a perfect correlation, but it's giving you a very, very a uh, long lead time. So it's, it's very useful in our view. And, and hold on, what it. is this again? How does this,
1: what is this exactly? What does it track and how does that work?
2: It tracks the impact of deficit spending on the growth cycle. Of investment spending? Of deficit spending. Deficit spending, okay. Right, so, so it's this is fiscally, all right. Yeah, it's a year over year change in gross federal debt, right? So you only increase federal debt when you're deficit spending. Sure. So how does that flow through the economy and hit the growth cycle?
1: right okay interesting okay and so all right and so this this deficit spending increases i thought this just continued to increase at
2: Deficit spending it's well the thing is it's the rate of change right ah. so deficit spending is always increasing it seems yeah. but the rate of change of deficit spending is not right uh-huh. and so the rate of change right now coming off of all the COVID stimulus and everything is quite negative negative. and so that'll be a drag on the rate of change of growth Okay.
1: Okay. That's interesting. All right. And you see that this this leads the market by, I should say, the, the
2: economy by 18, 18 months. Right. And so, it, and you can think of the ISM manufacturing PMI as more or less coincident with the performance of the stock market. But the stock market really leads by about two months. But in any case, this is a good leading indicator for both. Um, all right. Going
1: back to bonds, real quick. Do you think there's more upside here at the short end of the curve? I mean, without, I mean, uh, obviously this is a play on on interest rate policy, but. Um, yeah.
2: Should we be going long the two-year note? Yeah. I think so. Well, I, uh-huh. like, I like bills in the two-year note generally because they still offer a relatively attractive yield, right? Between yeah. Still between 4 and 5%, depending on where you're looking on the curve. Uh-huh. They're super liquid, right? They're nominally risk-free. Given the economic backdrop, that's still pretty attractive. I mean, the yield curve looks like it's starting to steepen again, but it's still inverted. And so we don't have any problem buying short-term bills and notes here. We think that's still a good risk reward. Mm -hmm. Oh, that reminds me on the yield curve. You you also had some, you think the yield curve is gonna widen again, right? So generally, uh, how do we think about the yield curve? The The yield curve is a good measure of Fed policy today versus bond market expectations about growth in the future. So when the yield curve is inverted, what that means is that Fed policy is tight relative to growth expectations. Generally, that's what the Fed wants, right? The Fed uses an inverted yield curve to slow the economy, to make uh, uh, lending less attractive to spread lenders, right? Among among other things. And so, when does the when does the yield curve tend to steepen historically? It, it's pretty simple. It's when the Fed stops hiking interest rates. So, uh, and generally, that happens when the Fed starts to see trouble brewing on the horizon. You can see we've had a, a relatively quick steepening of the yield curve, specifically the two tens there are some other measures that are still very very inverted like the 3 month 10 year but uh the 2s 10s is inverting is excuse me steepening again probably in anticipation of a fed pause and then not long after that uh, a fed cut we actually have a few leading indicators to the yield curve as well one of them is bank lending standards interestingly bank lending standards tend to lead the 2s 10s curve by about oh, I'm going to forget it's four or five quarters okay. uh, but but in any case it, it looks like bank lending standards are suggesting that we should see a steepening of the yield curve, if not now, then in the next quarter or so. And it, it suggests actually that we will need to see a rather forceful steepening of the yield curve. In other words, there will probably be considerable stimulus despite what the Fed is saying mm. uh, after the downdraft and this growth cycle has really started to commence. So you know, we're probably hesitant to say, you know, buy a steepener right now, but that, that's clearly the next step in the business cycle. Mm-hmm. rather than uh, more inversion. Right. It's just another way of saying, is the Fed closer okay. to being finished hiking this cycle or is it right. you know, still toward the middle? And, and we think clearly whether or not there's another hike or two left or it, the line wiggles for a few months, we're probably toward the end of this hiking cycle. Right. Okay. Fair enough. All right.
1: Cool. Um, all right. Well, in, in closing, will you uh, tell our listeners how they can find out more
2: about you and about Invictus Research? I know you are a little active on the social media. Sure, so uh, my Twitter handle is at Invictus Macro. Our website is Invictus-research.com. We aim to provide hedge fund quality research to anyone who wants it. We do so at a, a very affordable price. We might be raising prices in the next few months, but right now it's still uh, very very retail friendly. And uh, something a little unusual, a little fun about our products is that they're all delivered over video. So if you, uh, you wanna get the most recent economic data, uh, if you want to get the most important market moves and how they fit into the context of the business cycle, backtesting, different types of quantitative analysis explained in, in very accessible language uh, and using really accessible graphs and charts, then uh, then check us out. The Daily Edge is our flagship product. And uh, yeah, that's a daily see. video? It is, yeah.
1: Cool. And, how, and that you get that in, in
2: your inbox or is there a way that you can... Is yeah, there a YouTube it, channel or anything? No, it's, it's, it's send right to your inbox every morning right. at... 6 a.m. and you click you click the link and you get seven minutes covering the most important economic data from the day before and uh, and and any major market moves too. Very interesting. Cool. All right. That's that's great. Awesome.
1: Mike Singleton of Invictus Research. Thank you again for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. Great to have you as always. Looking forward to having you back again a year from now, maybe sooner, and uh, assessing this whole economic cycle and how it is all playing out. Across markets. Until then, we thank you for listening and look forward to speaking to you again next time. See you then.
0: Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We we'll look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Oh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today.